reading from uh, the Gospel of John, from the 15th chapter. Yesterday we heard one of the wonderful uh, I Am sayings of Jesus. We walked through the door. We're invited to come to him that way. Uh, today we're going <clears> to <throat> hear about the true vine from the 15th chapter. So it's recorded in John's Gospel that Jesus said these words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's watching and waiting, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Amen. Deborah, thank you for that. I just have to say that if you ever wanted a picture of false hope, it's this little gadget up here. It's a it's a timer. It has no batteries. I think it's just meant to make me feel guilty. I think that's why it was placed here. It does absolutely nothing. I thought I would share that. It's a great introduction to the sermon. Unbelievable passage today. Again, one of those I am sayings that takes you right into the heart of uh, Jesus. And remember, when you hear these words, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Uh, by the way, you're not the vine and God is a branch. It works the other way. Um, I am the vine. You're the branches, he says. Remember the context in which he speaks these words. <clears throat> it's a time of, of when you hear this. Uh, the confluence of two streams that are just impossible to mix. They just don't work at all. And the first is this. The first is to remember that these words were spoken at the absolute worst night of Jesus' life. This is Thursday night, folks. 
prior to Good Friday, uh, uh, the heaviness in that room, uh, the anxiety that was just um, bubbling up in the hearts of the disciples, not to speak of Jesus, uh, he was not taken by surprise by the cross. Uh, he knew that that's why he was born from the foundation of the world. Uh, the shadow of the cross is filling that room. Uh, the circumstances are excruciating. You talk about a situation that's absolutely unlivable. Uh, that's the first thing. But the second thing is this. Do you know what Jesus' insistent theme is? As he speaks, please know again, uh, because it were, were true with you, with your kids or your triplets or your wife, the last words you say are those most important words that bring to crystallization and summation all the things you care about, all the things that uh, the treasures that live down deep in your heart that you would want remembered if you were on your deathbed. But on this night, with the shadow of the cross looming and the heaviness of what he would be facing, bearing all the sins of all the world that next day, you know what Jesus' consistent theme is? It's joy. I mean, this is not humanly possible, but it is with God. And it's about the, the thing that Jesus most wants us to get, the thing that he most wants to give as his final gift here, um, <clears throat> is to take his joy and have it pressed into those disciples. He does not say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the true vine. I want to give you happy times. Uh, great memories, um, because you know me, <clears throat> I'll be your strength. You'll never go through any hard valleys, no brokenness, because you're a Christian. Absolutely not. But my friends, what he does promise is fullness of joy. Notice that. He doesn't say, I want to make you a little more joyful. I'd like you to have slight mood swings so you can be doing a little better. You know, that's probably what I would say. That's the best I'd probably hope for. He said, no. I'm promising you fullness of, not a modicum of joy, not a little measure of joy, not reostat on six. Let's pump it on up to ten. I'm promising you on the night before my crucifixion. <clears throat> and it's his joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and came to sit at the right hand of the Father. Here's a joyful man. Was he happy? Probably not. He was filled with joy. He was filled with victory. And he said, I want you to know that joy. I want you to know that joy. Joy beyond your circumstances. Now, see, when circumstances are great, these words make a lot of sense. When circumstances are not good, when you've lost a job, when your relationships have, are depressing, um, when your life seems to be collapsing, uh, that's when we need to hear these words when the circumstances are terrible. One time <clears throat> I was studying uh, where Mark Genelat went to school. I was studying at uh, St. Andrews and University of St. Mary's in Scotland. And I came running out of uh, the library one day into a downpour. Anytime you ran out of the library, any time was a downpour at St. Andrews. <clears throat> but there's a wonderful little coffee shop across the place and they had their, their Scottish ladies are wonderful cooking cookies and things that make you real fat, which I wanted to take advantage of. Um, so I came running out there, and it just was a storm, and I came in, I was drenched, and I came in, and I was just saying, God, what dreadful weather. I mean, this is terrible. I'm just drenched, and there was a line, a few, two or three people waiting for me, a little Scottish lady standing in front of me. 
And I said, the weather is awful. She turned around and looked up at me. She had to look up. And she said, I can't do a Scottish accent. But she said, there's nothing wrong with the weather. You're just not dressed properly. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you know, you'll never fix the weather. Something else has got to happen. I thought of those words, uh, teach me not to wait till the storm passes, but teach me how to dance in the rain. How is it that you're joyful in the rain? I said, you're joyful, not just in kind of a bad day. I'm talking about at the deepest losses of life. The thing that I want to say today really clusters around one word that is insistently used here. Once you get kind of reading this and meditating on it, it's like a spiral. And this word comes, meno in Greek, but it's translated, depending on your Bible, it means either dwell or remain or abide. Let me say those words again once you get them. It means dwell, dwell in me. He who dwells in me, dwell in my word, dwell in me, dwell in my love. Don't dwell in the weather. Dwell in me. Without me, if you dwell in me, I'll dwell in you. Um, And you will know my strength and you'll know my joy. Not your joy on steroids, but my joy in you. And the powerful thing about this, my friends, uh, that I want, that's a learning for me. It's a learning for me. It's, I've often wondered, you know, how people get to be joyful people. It's not by their DNA. I have a very lovely, joyful wife who, who you would think she's pleasant. You would think, well, she just, it was random DNA that got Laura Barr to be that way. It's not. She's pretty pleasant. She's a lot more pleasant than I am by default. But she is a joyful person because of one reason. It's what she dwells in. It's where she insistently goes. It's where her imagination goes. It's where she... And, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're not a joy... If you wonder why you're not a joyful person, do you want to be a more joyful person? You may not care. Uh, I think you do. Here's the secret... For being a joyful person has nothing to do with DNA. It has to do with a critical choice that you make. And it's where are you abiding? Where do you dwell? Where's the insistent place of your imagination? And I I have to say this, you know, back behind our faces, we spend a lot of time somewhere. We're somewhere. You know, we can be at the beach in a recliner drinking a pina colada but we can be a communicant of another galactic system. You can be absolutely miserable at the most beautiful, but I've done it. And it's because you're dwelling somewhere else. We all dwell. There's no demilitarizing, no neutral place. You're living somewhere, and you're magnetized by it, and you get sucked into it, and whatever it is that you're dwelling in, you become, and I become. And it downloads its shape into your life. Jesus said, I am the true vine. You ever wonder why he said that? I didn't think about this till last week. He said, I'm the true vine. Well, we need to say that because there are a lot of fake vines. There's a lot of counterfeit vines. There's a lot of vines that we dwell in that don't bring us joy, that don't bring us life, that take us deeper into narcissism or, or, or death. And just think this morning for a little bit what I want to do comes right out of the gospel. Jesus wants us to be thinking, okay then, 
If you say, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and, and, and your joy may be full, and it's all about dwelling, then the question you need to ask today and me is where are you dwelling? Where do you dwell? What do you dwell in? And here's some things that we dwell in. We dwell in problem people. <laughs> you know, does any, anybody live in a family? Everybody says, oh, we're looking for a family. Anybody actually lived in a family? They're problem people in some families. And sometimes we just dwell in problem people. We don't take them to the Lord and we don't find a way to find healing that much. We just dwell in the pain. Um, sometimes we dwell in unforgiveness. All of us have been hurt. All of us have been betrayed. All of us have been hit in the solar plexus in ways that were unfair. A lot of times we shoot ourselves in the foot. But a lot of times it really is an injustice which has hit us deeply. And Hebrews warns about what happens when the heart, uh, when, when the, 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 the hot kind of um, <clears throat> hurt begins to cool and it becomes hardened. You know what I'm talking about? And you end up, he says, don't allow a root of bitterness to come live in your life. It will defile you and it will defile many. Bitterness. And it may well be because you're a human being and God loves you. God loves you. But one of the temptations is to hold on to hurts and they become, they become calcified. And they don't go away, they go under and, they, they, and we begin to dwell in them in the same way nobody sees it, but in the same way our tongue flicks back and forth to a chipped tooth over and over again. A lot of times we can flip back to that bitter place. And it's what we're dwelling in. And it makes us miserable. And you wonder why I'd like to be a more joyful person. My question is, well, why aren't you? Why do you dwell where you dwell? That's the question Jesus is asking. Um, one of the places that we dwell quite often is in the two words, if only. If only. If only I, you know, if only, if it hadn't been for this, if only I could be a bishop. Oh, my goodness. Then you had to go be one. Who would want that? Uh, if only if I could have children. Then you have children and you're looking for retirement. If only if I could be retired. I'm talking to a guy in Charleston the other day, a retired federal judge. He said, you know, I thought retiring, living down in Florida, came up to eat some good food in Charleston. He said, all my friends are up in Chicago and men don't know how to make friends and women do. And I'm just lonely. I don't know how to be retired. If only I were back. If only. If only. And we dwell there. Less dramatic, but just as deadly. As, is, see, T.S. Eliot had a poem. He talks about distractions. We dwell in distractions. Distracted from distraction by distraction. And one of the things that we're distracted by, I've been reading a book it's over here, it's called The Digital Invasion by one of my professors at Fuller Seminary. And the technology of the digital invasion of Twitter and Facebook and, and YouTube and, and uh, the obsessive way we check emails and texts, it's, it's becoming life itself. And he goes on to talk about the, the infectious narcissism of Facebook 
and how we're turning friends into an audience where we become, we become performers and writers of witty sayings. And I've never seen anybody broken on Facebook. I don't do Facebook, but I, I cheat and look on my wife's. But everybody I see on Facebook is on the top of Mount Everest drinking Chablis. <laughs> and they're just the happiest people in the world, and it's a lie. And we settle for superficial relationships and constructed identities. I'm not saying everybody's like that. But the worst thing is there's no God space left, friends. We're doing so much connecting that we're so lonely because it's not really connecting. Let's face it, they're not friends, they're contacts. My dad used to make beautiful fires. He loved to make a fire in the fireplace. And he had a way that he would do it. He was just an expert. When I got a little older, he said, okay, now, Johnny, your, your turn to to build the fire. And so I built the fire the way I thought he did it. I got the paper, wadded it up, and stacked logs on. Of course, I, you know, you lit, the, you lit the paper and it just went out. And I remember he sat me down and he said, son, you've got to have space between those logs. The fire lives in the spaces. God lives in those spaces. What are you dwelling in? Well, conclusion. What an incredible passage. He wants you to know his joy. Gosh, I would love more of it. He wants you to know fullness of joy. So that that joy is less sporadic, less intermittent, less vaporized truer, more authentic, doesn't depend on the weather. But the key is for his spirit to draw you to himself so that we love his word, we enjoy his presence, we collapse in his arms, we dwell with him, we learn to abide in him, whatever the weather is. Jesus, on the worst night of his life, made us a promise. He said, I, I want to be your vine and I want you to be so deeply rooted in me that nothing can take my joy away. Not every day is a happy day. Days might be filled with tragedy, probably will be. But you can know the unfading joy of God, Jesus Christ. My friends, one big question. Where have you been dwelling? Where have you been spending time? Let's dwell in him. It's called repentance. Coming home. Come home. You are weary. Come home. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for these amazing words. It just seems impossible. It's beyond impossible on the night before you hung on the cross and the day you were flogged for you to be not only speaking of joy, not only filled with the joy that only the Father could give, but you promise and you promise and joy to us and want to give your joy to us uh, so that we're not slaves of the circumstances of our life. Uh, Father, turn our hearts to you. Um, 
we might dwell in you, and you in us. In Jesus' name, amen.